The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hopefully all of us in all that we do at Notre Dame, it's part of what makes the place so special is that they care about the spiritual life of players and of all their our students. Here come the Irish! What a run! Touchdown! Play of the year for the Irish! Welcome to the Indy on NBC podcast. I'm your host, Boy Robinson. Notre Dame won 45-32 over North Carolina, meaning... We're back to 500. This is great. Notre Dame is two and two. Uh, since this is a bye week, uh, next week is, is a big matchup. BYU at Allegiant Stadium, Shamrock Series. But let's focus on, on the bye week, a, a week of rest for the players, for the team, for us as fans, emotionally. Um, we are going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to get a game breakdown of that UNC win. Uh, the word is offense, and we'll talk to Doug Farmer about that. And we have... First and foremost, uh, a really interesting interview with not a player, but with Father Nate Wills, the team chaplain. Uh, Father Nate has uh, a really interesting job. I asked him, you know, well, how do you become team chaplain? You don't apply, you're chosen. So think about that. What is the responsibility? What is the, the route to becoming um, the team chaplain for one of the most iconic football teams in the country? And how do you help the team win? Father Nate tells us. Take a listen. Is the team chaplain for Notre Dame football. And uh, Father Nate, you've been so kind to me. You know, Mark Thiesing, Father Mark, was my team chaplain when I played. And uh, one of my favorite traditions at Notre Dame is handing out the medals. And, and every time I see you on the sideline, you always come over to me and give me the medal. And we're going to get into that exactly. What, that, what does that mean? But first and foremost, I just want to introduce you to everybody. Um, they may see you on the sideline uh, with the team. What is exactly your Notre Dame story? How did you arrive at being team chaplain? What made you fall in love with the campus in the first place? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great question. Um, boy, I've been here for a good part of my life. Uh, I came to Notre Dame as an undergrad um, following the, the year uh, after my brother, my older brother came to, uh, to Notre Dame as well. We're both first generation college kids. And, um, and Notre Dame was pretty much, I, I was told by my college counselor that Notre Dame was a stretch. Uh, and I was like, okay, but I want to go. Um, and I really fell in love with, um, with the campus, the beauty. And from, um, you know, early on, I was thinking about uh, a vocation to the priesthood and was wondering where God was calling me in my life. And um, I entered the college seminary as a freshman and it was just wonderful. I really, I had uh, great people. I lived in the old college, one of the oldest buildings on campus, the old college building, and um, have great friends who are 
uh, still still good friends who were college seminarians at the time. Not all of them are Holy Cross priests, but um, um, really came here to Notre Dame to uh, to explore my vocation and found a vocation within a vocation as a teacher um, and as a priest. Uh, so it's just been a wonderful experience. Um, the the whole football chaplain thing came as an utter surprise to me. Um, it's I never in my life imagined that I would have this role, um, though it was pretty great. When I was in uh, graduate school studying for my doctorate in education at Wisconsin, I lived in a parish uh, with a, a pastor who became a great friend of mine, Father Mike Burke, who is the uh, little like 40 year chaplain uh, to the Wisconsin Badgers. And so he kind of took me under his wing. And while I was there, we talked a lot about football. I met his buddies and his coaches and all those good folks. Um, but I would have no idea that a couple years later, uh, I'd get asked by um, my buddy, Father Pete McCormick, to help out Father Mark Thiesing um, as he took on more responsibilities in our province. So I, he just called me up and, and asked uh, if I wanted to to help out. And I was kind of shocked and flabbergasted and excited and honored. So yeah, there's no application process, just you're, you're chosen? Yep. Wow. So so if, if help me help me understand that right along apprenticeship, you know, with Father Mark Thiessen, you know, what what did that apprenticeship actually look like on the ground? Yeah, I mean, it, he was great. He had like all these documents and stuff of, you know, here's what to do before the game. Here's what uh, what we do kind of. An, and, you know, it's it's really cool to see how uh, both he and I stand on the shoulders of giants on this stuff. I mean, uh, Jim Reilly, who is, you know, the long, long time uh, chaplain to the football team, who is in Rudy. Uh, you know, he's he's the one that everybody thinks about, you know, as as the the chaplain to Notre Dame football. Uh, he was on the sidelines smoking a cigar um, all during uh, during the game. Can you imagine? I mean, it's it's just great. And then um, you know, Father Paul Doyle um, was was chaplain as well for a long time. A lot of folks remember him. Uh, and and Father Mark really helped me uh, to say, you know, um, our our key role really is just to support people in in whatever way possible. Father Mark, as you probably re- remember, Corey, is, is a pretty, pretty talented close-up magician um, and has like card tricks and stuff like that. And he would entertain the, the, the student managers, the flight attendants on our charter and all this stuff. And right away, when I came on board, they were like, so what do you do? I'm like, <laughs> I don't do any of that. Like, I told the flight attendants, I'm like, well, if you bring me food, I'll make it disappear. But that's about <laughs> it. So no magic for you? To, like, he's been trying to teach me magic tricks and I'm like, I, I can't do it. I'm not adept enough, but did you have a hidden talent? Me? No, no, I don't, I don't think See, I find that hard to believe. Um, no, I don't think I, I don't think I have any really hidden talents. I don't know. Um, I can't really sing. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've done a, a couple of voiceovers for different things. Um, you know, there was there was a couple commercials that Notre Dame did, and uh, I got you know I have kind of a lower voice, and so I'd be like, you know, welcome to Notre Dame, and, you know, like all that stuff. But um, and, and actually, the here's a, a hidden thing: I've been working for years and trying to build out a um, of an audio tour of Notre Dame, and if you go deep into the Notre Dame app, there is an audio tour of campus that is my voice. So every once in a while, I'll walk by groups of people. 
um, you know, walking around campus and they have their phone out and they're listening to this. And I'm like, that, that's, that's me. That's me. <laughs> like, hey guys, that's me, St. John Chrysostom, right? The Golden Mouth. You, you, that's that's a, that's a really nice uh, that's a really nice gift, by the way. You know, I I, I want to ask about you know football relation because you think, okay, if you're chosen to be the football chaplain, do you need to know about football or do you need to love football? You know, like I know your brother Nick walked on. You mentioned he, but you didn't mention that he walked onto the basketball team. Uh, how important was football to you growing up? In Minnesota. Yeah, you know, um, football was always a part of life, but um, it really, for me, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a huge part of my life. My mom um, is a pediatric nurse and really worried about us all the time. I was like, you know, I don't want you to get hurt and whatever. And uh, my brother was a great basketball player, as you mentioned, um, and uh, he uh, he was forbidden for playing football, like he couldn't do it. And uh, so I was like, well, I guess, you know, we can't play football in my family. And then my senior year, my, my buddy, Bob Lair, we, we were working out together all that summer. And he's like, why don't you play football with us? And I'm like, oh, my parents won't let me. And so I went home to my mom. I'm like, mom, can I play football? She's like, sure. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I guess you weren't protecting this son, but okay, fine, whatever. No, and so I played one year um, when I was in, uh, in high school. Um, as every member of my team could attest to, I was terrible. Um, and, uh, but I had, I had fun. Um, I, I got pneumonia like three quarters of the way through our season and was like totally out of it. But, um, yeah, it was, it, it was great. I don't have a deep knowledge of football. And in fact, when, when Father Pete first asked me, um, to be the football chaplain, I said two things. I said, first of all, I'm honored. Thank you for asking. Second, you know, I don't know that much about football, right? And he, he was great. Immediately he said, Nate, we don't need you to call plays. <laughs> We, we, you know, we pay a lot of people a lot of money to know everything there is to know about football. We just need you to bring them to Jesus. And I said, I can try to do that. I, and, and I think, you know, in some ways, it might even be helpful that I'm not um, the super fan, uh, like the Notre Dame football super fan, um, just because, like, I think I'm able to meet the guys where they are. Um, and I, I think all of us, I see it as my job is to remind them and all of us, right? that we're more, they're more than what they can do on Saturday, right? That they, at the end and, and before and after uh, any co college football, any pro football career, anything like that, before and after that, they are uh, a child of God. And to be grounded and centered in that identity, I think is the most important thing. You said one of the, the roles, your job description is to bring them to Jesus. How, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, um I would say some uh, pretty tangible ways in which we have mass together. Uh, and, you know, Coach Freeman has, has brought that back to game day before. And when under Coach Kelly, we did it the day before um, the game. But, you know, I've been invited in a number of ways to participate in um, the fellowship that they do. Right now, um, Coach Stuckey actually runs their fellowship and does a Bible study and stuff. And, and I, think, I think they're surrounded by people who are faith-filled and great witnesses to the love of Christ. Um, so I, it's not just my job, right? Obviously, as, as the priest, um, I have a specific role in that, and, and I think in, in celebrating the sacraments. Um, but hopefully all of us in all that we do at Notre Dame, it's part of what makes the place so special, is that they care about the spiritual life of players and of all their, our students um, and student-athletes here at the university. So, I mean, I, I think part of it is witnessing, part of it is talking about Christ um, and, you know, inviting people into the stories of the life of Jesus. Um, and then also just witnessing to joy in my own life um, and, and hopefully preaching in a compelling way. 
one thing that I read recently is uh, Marcus Friedman converted to Catholicism. And I was wondering what, what role did you have in, in, in that? Look, it, it's been a, a beautiful process. Um, I, I would say my role was very small um, in the sense that, you know, I, 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 you know, give credit, obviously, where credit is due, the Holy Spirit, uh, first and foremost, but also, I mean, his, his wife, um, Joanna is, is a faithful Catholic. Um, they're raising their kids Catholic. And she, you know, for the years of their marriage, um, has been really just having conversations with him, witnessing to him in um, in her Catholic faith. And uh, it was just this summer that, you know, um, Coach reached out to me and said, hey, I'm thinking about this process. Can we talk more about this? And of course, I'm like, yeah, absolutely, we can. This is great. Um, and I think as well, some of the conversations on the team helped as well. I mean, as I walked in this journey with Ron Paulus in the past, Ron, whose who's wife Sarah is Catholic as well. And I think she had that sort of similar influence on him to say like, you know, this is a beautiful part of my faith. And, and I think he came to be aware of that. And I think between him and, um, you know, Hunter Biven also came into the church. Uh, his now wife, Megan, is uh, Catholic. And I think they're all like th- this encouragement to, um, to have deep conversations about their faith is great. And so my only role was really to do catechesis. Um, we walked through the entirety of the catechism, which is pretty cool, um, and had great conversations. We were meeting once a week this whole summer about um, about his faith and, and, you know, faith questions about the Catholic Church. And it was just a re- great privilege and was able to um, confirm him and give his first communion. Pretty cool. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, and uh, one thing that always comes out to me, like I said, when I think about Notre Dame traditions, uh, in addition to the mass on game day, which is just like one of the coolest things ever, I'm so happy it's back, um, are, are the, the medals. And not everyone knows about the medals. Uh, could you explain the medal tradition uh, and, and, and what it means to the, to the team? Yeah, so every week we give um, the players a holy medal. And it's not just in football. We do this in a number of the different sports as well. Um, Pete McCormick does this with the basketball players. Um, we've done this before. Um, Stacey Noam does this with fencers sometimes when they, they get together for some of these things. We give um, just a small holy medal um, to the uh, to the student-athletes. It's just a reminder of the the Saints. And, um, and, you know, we'll tell a different story about the Saint every week. And, you know, it's, I think for me, it's a reminder of the multiple paths of um, each of our journeys take toward Christ, um, multiple paths toward salvation and sainthood, um, to remind people that, look, we're all invited into that same journey uh, toward God and toward heaven of sanctity. And uh, there's so many different pathways to it, so many different life um, experiences that can draw people to, um, to, saint, uh, to sainthood that I think the, those medals are a good reminder of that. Um, and I think they've, it's been a lot of fun to research it and to share it too. Like when I started doing this, um, I created an Instagram account. Oh my gosh, I was never, I'm never on Instagram. And um, so I'm at Pray Like a Champion today on my Instagram. And I post the holy medal every week, a little bit about um, that saint and then have one of the players actually hold it. So you have to swipe uh, to see which player is holding the, the holy medal. And, and they've really liked it. I really liked it. I've learned a lot about um, Instagram, thanks to Pete McCormick and April Garcia, who t- teach me about, you know, okay, do this and that. Okay, whatever. Um, but it's been a lot of fun to share that. And I think people have felt more connected to that part of Notre Dame. What was the, who was the saint last week? Padre Pio, a great modern saint. 
Um, he was, uh, and he'll be kind of more well-known. Uh, Shia LaBeouf just did a, a movie where he played Padre Pio in this. And actually through the movie, came to a conversion in his, in his own faith to become Catholic, which is kind of cool. Um, but um, he was a caption priest in this past century, um, uh, just an amazing preacher, uh, somebody who was a mystic. And um, <laughs> I told the guys on Saturday th- that he had visions during Mass and sometimes just had these ecstatic moments. Um, and some of his Masses went as long as four hours. And I said to the guys, aren't you glad I'm not a saint? <laughs> <laughs> Four hours before the game day. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that would, if that would fly. <laughs> Not so much. You know, before before I let you go, Father Nate, you know, I want to ask you about the relationships you have with your players because um, you mentioned that your your path to priesthood is a vocation, and you knew it when you even came into college. You know, that to me uh, mirrors a lot of the football players, at least that I knew or that you know that I meet on on the team, who mm-hmm. they know from their little little kids that they want to go to the NFL. And they and they orient their lives toward that goal. Um, what relationships stand out to you, or, or do you have any great stories uh, of, a, of a moment that you connected with one of these guys? Yeah, it's been. I mean, I have so many. I mean, there's, there's just incredible, um, incredible stories of faith. I mean, I, I I can't help but think of. I mean, the the faith of somebody like Drew Tranquil, um, who just in every it felt like every time he took a breath, he was talking about um, his faith and, and inviting people more deeply into it. Um, uh, gosh, Dalen Hayes, I mean, a, a great example of, of faith. I mean, I, I think about um, Tommy Kramer, uh, who is, is consistently one of the guys who just had amazing questions for me. I mean, he would, he would just be, you can just see him thinking about, um, about his faith and somebody who really took, uh, his faith ser- and continues to take his faith seriously. Um, it's really great. I mean, those those moments of of connection with guys, I think, are are really fun. Um, and uh, Tommy used to tell me that uh, that often uh, the Friday night before a game, guys would have all these conversations about faith, and um, he would say, you know, like he and Ian Book were talking about their faith and these deep questions, philosophical questions. I'm like, really? That's what you guys were doing uh, the night before a game? And it, it's just amazing to see how um, people see different dimensions of our student athletes, you know, as great players or motivated people, but they're also just really intense about their faith life and really um, just thoughtful, curious disciples trying to do their best, trying to figure out, um, you know, how to grow in their faith, whether they're Catholic or not. Just, I think that's part of the Notre Dame experience, right? That, um, that, that I think we really do care deeply about the person that you're becoming uh, especially in relationship to your um, your your friendship with Christ. Thank you so much, Father, for taking the time to talk with me. It's always a pleasure to see you, and I can't wait to get that next medal. I don't know who it's going to be, but you know, I can't wait to see you. Thank Just you, Father. Wait and see. Doug, welcome to the podcast. It's time for a game breakdown. Tell me your thoughts and the first high level thoughts of Notre Dame's win over North Carolina. What's the while North Carolina's defense is bad, I realize that's not the first thought Notre Dame fans want to hear, but that is my first thought because that defense was bad. Now, you have to take advantage of that. A bad defense doesn't give up 52 points. The offense has to do something. And I say 52, not 45, because Audrick Estime was what? A foot away from another touchdown of those closing minutes? And it's not one of those, well, you don't know how the rest of the game would have played. It was the final three minutes. Notre Dame would have had 52 points. It's, it's the kind of thing that you didn't expect from this offense. In our talk in earlier, I think you 
called it a science fiction, if you had asked a few weeks ago. And that's 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 what a surprise it was. But to some extent, let's not forget North Carolina's defense is really bad. <laughs> I, I can't help but um, bring up the total here. Um, total offense. Uh, let's, let's break it down, shall we? Passing. Notre Dame had 289 yards passing. Uh, rushing, 287 yards rushing. You think about a balanced, I mean, that's, that's like two yards off. And, and, and Tori, I actually will argue the flip is the other way. It was 291 yards rushing before they lost four yards on kneel downs. Just, just for precision here, it's still a, a two-yard difference, but they really did run the ball for 291 yards. And and it is truly like science fiction, I think, because you know when you watch Notre Dame earlier in the season, particularly the, you know the opener against Ohio State, you saw Marshall. You're thinking, can can Notre Dame score? That was kind of at least something to me. Will the offense click? What will it look like? And it seems to find its groove. What do you think is working well for Notre Dame, especially in that in that recent showing against North Carolina? Because 45 points, I know you said the defense is bad, but obviously something is going going well if you almost put up 600 yards of total offense. I agree. I mean, a bad defense is going to give up 30, 35 with, on default. For you to push that toward 50, something was working. I wrote a column for today. We're recording on Tuesday of the Idol Week. And it's those three running backs and Michael Mayer. If you take their combination of touches, it was more than 70% of Notre Dame's offense. You take their combination of yards, it was more than 70% of Notre Dame's offense. For four players, and essentially two, you can argue three positions, to have that kind of production is, is a little lopsided. But when you're able to rotate running backs in like that, it works. When you're able to have just this, this beast of a human being in Michael Mayer who you could argue it's illegal for him to be on the field with some of these opposing players. It's it's just not fair. You're able to lean the offense to that lopsided degree, and and you need to. I mean, against Marshall, the only things that were working were Mayer and Tyler Buckner's legs. We well, don't have Tyler Buckner's legs anymore. So now it needs to be Mayer and somebody else's legs, and those three running backs really showed up. Um, Chris, Chris Tyree, Audric Estime, who had 134 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Chris Terry had one touchdown and then Logan Diggs. Uh, those are the three you're mentioning. And, and it is interesting because the first pre Drew uh, Pine, we talked about this. It seemed as though the running game was Tyler Butler, you know, either like an option or quarterback design run. It, it, he was consistently in the leading rusher. And then now you're starting to see these huge games uh, from the running backs. And it almost harkens back, at least in my mind, to like the Kyron Williams days, doesn't it? Where it's just like, it seems like the same kind of idea. Two backs, uh, you know, do by committee, and you have Michael Mayer. And then you'll also look at the receiving yards, and it seems you keep seeing Diggs, Tyree, you know, close near the top, game after game now. I'll go back even further, partially to make the, the Tyler Buckner comparison. What he was doing was Brandon Wimbush-esque. It wasn't just that he had the most rushing yards. He had the most rushing carries against Marshall when he missed the final series and a half. And that was what Wimbush always did. If you go back to that 2017 season, though, when Josh Adams had a two-week Heisman campaign, 33 trucking, that team had more than just Josh Adams running the ball. Deion McIntosh, Dexter Williams, Tony Jones Jr. all found the end zone on the ground. And that's what this team is starting to look like. Audric might be the lead back. After last week, he certainly should be. But he's got these other pieces that are doing just as much together. And that starts to look like that 2017 offense, the last one that had a certain offensive line coach who's back on the roster now as well. Yeah, what have you seen from the, from the offensive line from week one to now? 
it's gotten better. I kind of have rolled my eyes on Marcus Freeman's coach speak of, we forget how young this offensive line is. Yes, the tackles, Joel, Blake Fisher are both true sophomores. You've got a fifth-year a fifth-year veteran who started for four seasons, a third-year a senior who started for parts of three seasons, and a sixth-year veteran at right guard in Josh Love who started for parts of four seasons. Don't go tell me it's a young offensive line. Tell me it's an offensive line that hadn't played together. Tell me it's an offensive line that needed to work on communicating from one tackle spot to the other because no matter how veteran the offensive line is, it's only as good as that communication from one bookend to the other. And that takes a little bit of time. This is the third year in a row we've had this conversation in September of how bad Notre Dame's offensive line is. And it's the third year in a row by early October. It showed ah, it just needed a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, I always think about offensive line is, I mean, first of all, they do everything together. They move in just herds. And, you know, it takes time. That's that's one thing you always see after practice. Who are the, the last ones to leave practice? Um, it's the offensive line. They're, they're doing drills, I mean, for like an hour after practice. I mean, everyone else is on inside, ready shower, eating training table, which is dinner. And you'll look out, and then the offensive line will just be coming in. It's all about reps and all about time together. And, we're starting and last to- year, they took it a step further with the advent of name, image, likeness rights. The offensive line only did deals as a unit. So they got an underwear deal, they got pizza, they got barbecue. They would only do them all together, which is great and also kind of absurd. <laughs> it, it's funny, though, when, when you look at this North Carolina defense, you, you mentioned them being bad. Um, I think as far as, like, what does that actually translate to? I, I just look at the – you look at the box scores uh, and, like, break down by quarter by quarter for, this, for, for North Carolina, and they give up. I mean, there are, like, there's always one one quarter where they just give up a massive amount of points. How are you referring to Appalachian State scoring 40 points in the fourth quarter alone? And I think you and I were together at Ohio State as that's happening, and we're just like, how is how is this still going on? Yeah, and every single every single game, they gave up 25 um, against Georgia State, I think, and then you know, then you have a 24 point second quarter by Notre Dame. So it seems as though that's there was always that opportunity for one big quarter. And Notre Dame took full advantage of that in the second quarter, it seems, though. It, it is that. But I will give Notre Dame credit. It was more than just that second quarter. First drive of the third quarter, they immediately struck. Uh, it was one thing I'm really enjoying this season that maybe I just didn't notice in years past. Combination of Tommy Reese being available during the week, which is new, and Drew Pine and how he talks about the game. Drew Pine explains, oh, that touchdown to Logan Diggs. That was because I threw a ball away in the second quarter and Tommy saw they didn't cover the running back in the flat, which is just the kind of thing that now you get to go look at and understand the game so much better. But that's how Notre Dame scored right away in the third quarter on the first drive. And in the in the first quarter, Notre Dame missed a field goal. Let's say that drive converts. I mean, it's, it's Notre Dame scored on six consecutive drives, could have been seven. And it wasn't just that second quarter in that respect. They really did push into the third quarter and – the first quarter was gaining momentum. Let's talk about the um, the defense now because North Carolina had two of their stars back. First and foremost, Josh Downs, uh, a thousand yard plus thousand yard receiver. He's back and healthy. He played and Antoine Green. How did Notre Dame limit them? Because you, you look at Josh Downs, five <clears throat> excuse me, five receptions, thirty two yards. Okay, Notre Dame limited Josh Downs. Notre Dame didn't so much limit Antoine Green. 
Antoine Green had three, for, for those who don't know the stat, three receptions, 150 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but still, it was not enough. Uh, what do you think the defense did well covering those? It two? was very impressive that after North Carolina goes down the field, scores easily on its first drive, Notre Dame forces a three and out on North Carolina's second drive. The third drive, there was a play that really stood out to me. Drake May, sophomore quarterback, he's a lot of fun to watch. He can do it all. He's He is a complete package. It's going to be a lot of fun, at least for two seasons, to enjoy as a college football fan. He knows how to run. He picks his moments. North Carolina had a third and 12, and they designed a quarterback draw. Notre Dame sent three, and Maris Leofile started to be a fourth and then pulled up because he saw the quarterback draw. He beat two blocks, running back and the left guard, to get to May for a two-yard gain on a third and 12. It was that kind of discipline that we don't always see early in the season. Maris Leofile is a is an aggressive player. He wants to just make the big play. And if he wasn't disciplined in that moment, you would expect him to just shoot his lane and over-pursue Drake May on the quarterback draw. But instead, he held his ground, worked through those two blocks, and it was that kind of assignment sound play that hemmed in Drake May. He ended up with 56 rushing yards on 10 carries, which is pretty good for a quarterback, but he'd been averaging north of eight yards per carry. So Notre Dame were moving that option for North Carolina, started to hold that whole offense in. Josh Downs, he'll have his games. Antoine Green beat Notre Dame deep late. What are you going to do? He's going to get his. He's really fast. He's got good hands. You, you, you look at that stat line, historically, I mean, this season's small sample size, four games. But you look at Drake May's um, efficiency. It's incredible. And against Notre Dame, it's not, it's not so incredible. Once again, five touchdowns, 300 yards. Wow. Uh, but 17 for 32, that's uncharacteristic of Drake May. And it is interesting how, how they were able to put some pressure on him and get him out of his game, out of his element. When you look forward here, mo moving forward to BYU, because that's what we're looking at on the horizon. Uh, where is your confidence level with the defense? How do you feel? BYU is going to sound a lot like North Carolina and that it's been playing without its two best receivers. Gunnar Romney suffered a kidney laceration the first week of preseason practices. To my understanding, team doctors were like, we have no idea when you can return. He is on the verge. He might play this week. And then their other receiver, whose last name, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. He goes by Puka as his first name. People just call him Puka. He's coming back from a twisted ankle. Those two will open up BYU's offense in a way we haven't seen yet. And, and that's an offense that already prefers to play Notre Dame's game. North Carolina is not a team known for its offensive and defensive lines. BYU is. That's going to be a really interesting matchup because it's Notre Dame's strength is BYU's strength. It's led by a dynamic quarterback with these receivers returning, but its strength is its offensive and defensive lines. And offensively, uh, what do you think? Where, where's your where's your confidence level with Notre Dame's offense? I think Notre Dame knows it needs to lean on those three backs and Michael Mayer. And if you do that, if like if you if you just go all in on that, I think it's a reasonably high floor. It's not some outstanding offense, but it. It's 28 points a week, which up until this past week, we hadn't seen. And if, if you can get 28 points a week, you're going to win a lot of football games. And that's that's just the floor that I'm setting there. I, I think that offense, that relatively conservative, it's the second second or third slowest offense in the country right now on, on time between snaps. But if you lean into that, you, those are your strengths. And, and you don't have a whole lot of them, but lean into the ones you have. And finally, before I let you go, Doug, Let's talk recruiting. What <laughs> updates do you have for us? I mean, you look at these recruiting classes Notre Dame's been able to uh, you know, put together. Impressive. Do you have any updates? 
I, I don't have any exact names that I'm going to drop on you, partially because I like to let 16, 17, and 18 year olds take their time in making these huge life decisions. You were in those shoes once. It's not fun to have a reporter banging down your door to get a scoop. But I will say what Marcus Freeman was always known for was, was talent procurement, these recruiting classes. Notre Dame, according to Rivals, is the third class in the class of 2023 right now. And even if that falls to number four or five because other teams add a few players late, like that's the kind of talent influx we weren't seeing. There's a reason Notre Dame is, is such a conservative offense right now. It's because it has no receivers in the junior and senior classes. That's not an exaggeration. There is no receiver on this roster that is a junior or a senior because there were just these recruiting lapses, and there are none of those in the coming classes. The, the class of 2023 has three four-star receivers who are going to come in, and, and I don't, maybe they don't play right away. We've all seen how that can take time, but they're going to play. They're going to they're get to that point, and that's the kind of thing that can change a program. You add in that kind of perimeter talent because we all know Marcus Freeman keeps saying Notre Dame is an offensive and defensive line-driven program. That's great, but at some point that car has got to go faster. Yes, we've seen the, the DNA of this team looks like the two backs, the three back committee, and Michael Mayer and, and the offensive defensive lines, like you said. It would be nice to see some uh, elite level receivers like we saw, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, it would be very nice. It, Doug, it would be a change. Thank you very much for your time, Doug. It's always a pleasure to hear you break down uh, the team's performance. And I am very excited for next week, BYU, to see if all these things play out. I, I look forward to it. I look forward to staying out of trouble in Las Vegas, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Make NBC Sports Predictor a pregame ritual every week. Play Irish Pick'em for free and have a chance to win $10,000 each week. Rush the end zone and download NBC Sports Predictor app today on the App Store and Google Play Store. So that's uh, it for this bi-week episode. Uh, many thanks to Father Nate and, and Doug. Like I mentioned, bi-week, what does this mean for you and I? It means we get a chance to watch other games, maybe sleep, uh, rest emotionally. Uh, that's what the team is doing. So we should do the same. We should take a, a page from their notes. And the thing to note here is that when we get back into action and we have more Notre Dame football on Saturday, it's going to be a big game, BYU at Allegiant Stadium for the Shamrock Series. The Shamrock Series is kind of like bowl season before bowl season. It's a marquee event. You get new uniforms. It's a whole it's, it's, it's just a whole uh, situation. It's a whole scenario. So it's fun for us as fans. It's fun for them as players. And this is a chance for Notre Dame to, to go into the positive here, into the black, go three and two, potentially. And it could mark what uh, very well might be a turnaround for this team. We don't know. We will see. But first and foremost, it's impressive to carry yourself. Please. We'll see you next week. Go ahead. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.